0: Welcome to the L podcast. I'm your host, Liz Kopko. This podcast is about L's letting go what doesn't serve you, learning who we are and what we want out of life, leveling up to live it to the fullest, and most importantly, loving ourselves in the process. So let's figure out this thing called life together. Here we go. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thursday. I'm really excited for today's guest. Um, So a little context background. I met Leslie uh, kind of informally. I guess this is the first time we're like kind of virtually meeting. Um, But I attended this weight inclusive conference virtual summit where Leslie gave this phenomenal presentation that just I learned so much and I really wanted to share that with everyone who listens. And so Leslie, thank you for being on. I really appreciate you and your time. Um, thank you. Thank you, Liz, for having me. Yeah, can you tell our audience just a little bit about yourself and you know what you do?
1: Sure, so I am um, a multiply certified um, coach and I specialize in ED recovery and body image coaching uh, for women of color. Um, I have worked in healthcare. Um, I have a dual master's of business and MPH. So I come from diabetes education. Like that's where I cut my teeth in community care and um, saw some really strong correlations between uh, disordered eating and diabetes and those living with diabetes. So that really sparked my interest and my own journey um, to recover from binge eating disorders. So uh, that's a little bit about me and um, really trying to Decolonizes um, wellness space.
0: Yeah. And I'm so thankful that we have people like you that are doing this because, it's, because it is so important. Um, and so to kind of give everyone like a fundamental knowledge of this, can you explain what are disordered eating? Well, you know, what is disordered eating to start with?
1: Sure. So, um, disordered eating, which is um, sometimes a precursor to a onset of a full eating disorder. So disordered eating are the behaviors that people engage in that, um, are not the normal intuitive um ways to eat. So things like restricting how your eating window., <laughs> uh, things like uh foregoing whole, food groups or or macro groups like no or, or low carbs those are some of those practices also a hyper fixation on eating clean uh for example clean. i use clean yeah. yes cleaning yes, you know quotes. air quotes you know <laughs> um yeah. those those are those are disordered eating patterns um And unfortunately in our society, we see a high normalization of those patterns, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they have fun names and they change across, you know, trends, but it's disordered eating and those restrictive and cycles can lead to the onset of um, full-on eating disorders that meet a number of criteria in the DSM, right? In the diagnostic, you know, manual. So for me a lot of that restriction, especially the low carb restriction, eventually led to the onset of full-fledged bench eating disorder, where I would have long periods of restriction, but then I'd have consume high calorie, high nutrient, high quantity foods in a short period of time, followed by some type of purging activity. And for me, it was exercise. Like that was where I purged. Um, You know, uh, others use other methods like laxatives or diuretics or even vomiting so those are just some examples of disordered eating and how they can shift into uh just eating disorders and there's so many more disorders than probably you and i grew up with right we grew up with the big three you know (laughs) anorexia bulimia bulimia, and then binge eating and even when i was treated for that that hadn't quite made the dsm yet so you had anorexia nervosa bulimia nervosa and then other so everything was grouped in other but that other is big there's arfit there's restrictive eating there's pica there's rumination there's um orthorexia There, there are lots now um lots of disorder eating patterns so
0: i think up until now the one i'd only really heard of was anorexia and when i thought of you know okay what does someone who you know has this and you know anorexia my first image is a high school cheer a white high school cheerleader you know throwing up in the bathroom stall you know putting yeah. you know, it's and that's not true right and so one thing that your presentation really opened my eyes to was that that is a mentality a lot of people have and they don't seek treatment because of it. And so can you explain a little bit about why black women are more likely to have these eating disorders or disordered eating? Sure, so yes, I think this is a
1: prevalent ideal um, that in order to have an eating disorder, right? You need to look, and again with the air quotes, sick enough. And that tends to be that emaciated, underweight look Mm -hmm. um, that is, a characteristic of anorexia nervosa and it's um, the mo- the kind we see and it's easy for us to feel sorry for and it's always been presented just like you said thin cis white women, white girls, white adolescents that are suffering with this. But um, black women in particular, um, we have the highest occurrence of binge eating disorder. Mm. And what I have found through research and through my own practice and and learning from others is that Black women tend to eat their feelings because they they are restricting in front of other people. They are restricting to accommodate the expectations in professional and educational or academic spaces. Um, They are really also responding to stress. Um, And when we look at controlling all other variables, looking at racial stress and the trauma that is repeated racial stress, like in the form of microaggressions or even more, you know, more severe uh, type of racial trauma, like being traumatized by the viewing of events uh, of Black black, black violent, b- violence against Black people. Like, these are types of racial trauma that Black women are exposed to all day every day and so then we find that they use eating as a coping skill eating is the one thing that we can control unless you are food insecure which is another causal
0: mm-hmm. um
1: you know event or systemic event for binge eating, for that onset of that binge eating disorder and so because in our culture within our culture we are taught that you're not sick enough um sometimes binge eating can lead to actually weight gain and not weight loss so you don't look sick so you're able to hide behind it, or you are just completely unaware that what you are experiencing is, a, is actually an eating disorder. And so you don't get treatment. And so that is um, some trends that we have noticed and that are, that are finally starting to change a little bit.
0: Yeah. And that, I really love that you said that because I think we're getting towards this movement, like health at every size movement, where what that means is how you look doesn't dictate how healthy you are, right? Like there's people in larger bodies that are healthier than people who are in smaller bodies and vice versa. And so one thing that you brought up that I really am still trying to learn myself is the body positivity and how, you know, it sounds great, right? Positivity, it's in the word. And so it sounds like it's for everyone and, you know, it's, it's a good thing. And I think like a lot of things, it might be well-intentioned, but it's not exactly what it sounds like. And so can, you know, what are your
1: thoughts? Yeah. Sure. And, and, and like you, I feel like, Oh, positivity, it's gotta be for everybody. Well, I will say that body positivity in its purest form, like in the way it should be is certainly for everybody. There is no reason for any person, um, to not have attributes about their body that they feel positive about that's for sure but when you put body positivity with the third word movement then we have something very different right so the body positivity movement which was actually generated and started found its foundations its roots are in um Fat black women in the 60s, 1960s, really started putting this movement together um, and gaining ground with this movement. What we see now, though, is that it has been completely recentered on cis white women. And the problem is not that they don't deserve to feel positive about their body, but the problem is that all the voices that we hear or see or that are uplifted are of thin white women who would... by society, by the dominant culture standard, would still be desirable and acceptable. Yeah. So that is the problem because bodies that are black are on the margins. Bodies that are fat and black are on the margins. Further, you know, from on the margins, bodies that are fat, black, and queer are even further on the margin. So each intersection brings us away from you know the the center or power or you know acceptability, and so the women that have the voices and the platforms and have kind of hijacked that, that movement don't have any of the problems that, that the marginalized voices and bodies have but they're all you see so you think that they're that's all there is to that movement and so that's why it's leaving black and brown and differently shaped and differently sized you know it's become very cis thin able able-bodied focused
0: Yeah, that's, that's exactly true. Like there's a lot of celebrities um, that that's the first person you think of when it comes to, you know, body positivity and how they have accepted their bodies, but, you know, they still lose weight to conform to Hollywood standards. And um, it's really complicated. And one thing that I know I personally struggle with is, okay, well, what can I do about it? I understand I'm not in that position. I'm not queer, I'm not black. And so how can I help make a difference in that situation or, you know, can I, if I don't have that experience how much can I really say? And so how does one go from, first before we even get there, this concept of co-conspirator, I love it. I never heard of it before your presentation and so I've always heard ally that we should all be allies that you know I'm an ally because I do this or do that but there's more beyond that and I think that's oh, yeah. something that I I didn't know and I'm sure a lot of people sure as hell don't know so what is more than an ally so I would um
1: put put allyship kind of on a continuum on the spectrum right so an ally would be that I'm aware, you know, oh, this yeah, is different from other people, right? So, uh, and I, and then maybe it doesn't align with your values. And so you start to learn about it. Like to me, that's what an ally is doing. They're learning about um, systems, they're learning about inequities, they're learning about their role in, in that. And, and maybe they're not actively or intentionally still upholding some of these systems that lead to these inequities. And then the next step is an accomplice. This person has done some of their own internal work and when there is a, a call to action, they show up. <laughs> when 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 there's a march about brutality or, or there's a march about an injustice, these are your accomplices. They are with you. They are they are they're holding space for you. If you're the demographic that's being centered, but they are present with you. And so, even just that jump from allyship, I mean, if people have called themselves allies, like they should really consider when was the last time that they showed up at an event or a rally or gave money to an event that, you know, or, you know, or talked to someone that they knew. In the bare minimum. Yeah. 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 Like, so, so a lot of people are going to real, if they have that hard heart, they're, they're going to notice a stark difference in their involvement just from ally to accomplice, but to become a co-conspirator, oh man, this is where it's at because this person is not just showing up. <laughs> they are hosting events. They are, they are at, they're at the forefront without being centered. And the best way I could explain that is if I think of, if we think of talk about things in this In this nation's history like chattel slavery that chattel slavery would not have ended had white people also not been on the senate floor on the government floor talking about ending slavery those were uh, those were co-conspirators you know they they were working in concert with the voices of the people that were wanting their freedom and liberation and together they are all liberated they are all able to live free and yeah. that is the difference between being a co- uh, ally and a co-conspirator a co-conspirator would be a and cis- straight-bodied person who had none of the marginalized identities but was out front sharing information with other people who weren't supportive they were they're doing these things alongside their hand in hand but not recentering the movement on themselves
0: Yeah. And that I think it's also not just a spectrum of how you're supporting, but a spectrum of how comfortable are you. (laughs) Definitely. You know, it goes from, you know, little comfortable, like this is the bare minimum I'm willing to do. I'm I'm just gonna say I'm an ally, to I'm gonna get out of my comfort zone. And even being out of my comfort zone is nothing compared to what the black community has gone through and that continues to go through. But I'm gonna do that so I can do even just a little bit more. Um, and that's, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone. And so I I really appreciate that explanation um, because yes. I like a lot of people don't even know that, well, what more can I do? Stop saying you're an ally and do something. Um, and do something,
1: yes. Because once you just shift to doing something, you know what, what needs to be done. You will quickly see and you won't have to ask. And co-conspirators aren't waiting they can see what needs right. to be done and they're moving.
0: Yeah, um, I wish my husband was more of a co-conspirator in our marriage, just just do it, cleaning. You know what Please, done. Exactly, yeah.
1: exactly, and you can apply that definitely. I'm like, I know you see these dishes, sir.
0: Right, they <laughs> see <Maybe> us. <laughs> um, and so I wanna kind of get back to the disordered eating. What, to all the black women that are listening, Which hopefully I have some Black listeners. That would be great. What do you want them to take away from this message or from this episode?
1: So, first thing I want them to be able to take away is to know that their experiences are valid. Like, I believe you. I believe you. And there are others that believe you when you say that you don't know what else to do. I know if you are experiencing disordered eating, it's feel it's serving a purpose. I understand that it, it is providing comfort. It is providing stress relief. It is in place and, and maybe you're not ready to step away from that yet, but know that even though it's not being talked about nearly enough, um, there are people like me who understand the benefits of just being able to reduce the harm of your, your eating disorder, if it no longer is serving you, you know, if you want to, that help. It is, it is out there and it may take some time to find a provider or a therapist or like me, a, a, a coaching professional that can help you with it. But we are out here. Um, I think that's the most important thing I can tell you. And I also will tell you that I also recognize that traditional treatments may not be the best one for you. You need a culturally yeah. responsive, a culturally affirming type of treatment. Um, and I'm also going to defer to you for your own agency. You are going to tell me what getting better looks like for you. And I'm going to help you in that way. I'm not going to tell you what I want you to do or what I think you should do. We are going to work together and support your body autonomy. And that is what I would like for Black women and for women of color and period to take away from. Nothing is wrong with your cultural foods. There's nothing wrong with your beauty. We can reclaim all of those things and you can live a a joy-filled life.
0: Yeah. And one thing that I, I tell a lot of my friends that, you know, vent to me about, um, you know, I'm stress eating this week because work is, you know, so-and-so and they get to a point where they, they hate themselves for, for stress eating, for binge eating. And I have to remind them, like it is a coping mechanism. And unless you have another coping mechanism to replace it, you're just going to automatically go to it. And that is not a bad thing. That's your body trying to survive.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. And that's, and I know that traditional eating uh, tr- uh, disorder treatment hence centers itself on um, coping skills, coping skills. Mm-hmm. But what I do differently is, is that I look at where the systems are causing this stress. So okay. if it's stress, if it's Your stress, we're going to look at your beliefs around productivity and rest. Do you not feel that because you're a woman of color, you're able to rest? Or are you being told that you're not as productive because you're in a racialized identity? Like those are systems (laughs) that we look at when you work with me so we can get to, okay, well, this is serving us. What is the real need that is needing to be met? Okay, stress relief. Well, let's look at minimizing the harm of your stress eating. So maybe take a walk. Or delay it if you feel like you need to eat, delay it for 15 minutes, take a quick walk and then come back. Do you still need to eat that? Or is there another way? Do you have a clear head? Can you meet your need in another way that has to be talked about in a culturally sensitive way, in a way because we're not just all eating to control our body sizes. And some of us do. Some of us, it's about proximity to whiteness, right? So we look at what system? Well, that system is white body supremacy. It's not just, you know, that. So I look at it from a systems causing approach. Um, I don't, traditional treatment puts too much responsibility and blame uh yeah. black women are often called non compliant and you've heard that with yeah. diabetes to care too <laughs> you're like you know exactly women of color right. we're, we're yeah. called non compliant but you're forgetting that I still have to work out in this racist world i'm not non compliant i'm just doing the best i can in this moment
0: so yeah. and i love that because it's not all 100% on us it's not just a matter of willpower or discipline or choice because there's a lot of these things that you mentioned are not in women's hands. It's not in their control. And yet they still blame themselves for it. And they're called noncompliant because they didn't do exactly what you know providers said, given that they were also not given additional resources to achieve those goals that they didn't decide on themselves.
1: Exactly. And so that is definitely one of the things that makes working with me very different because because I believe you and I don't blame you like I just to me when you come to me I'm I'm already going to assume trauma <laughs> if nothing yeah. else other than misogynoir or or yeah. racially based trauma I'm assuming that and I'm going to treat you accordingly as a as a deserving tender person who is trying their best to survive
0: yeah that is amazing. I love what you do. Where can people learn more about you, what you do? If they want to work with you, where can they find you?
1: I am most easily found on Instagram. I am eat free live fierce on Instagram. Um, I have links in bio. You can go to my webpage and on the internet, you can find me at Leslie Jordan wellness.
0: Easy to find. Great. Well, Leslie, this was amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, for the work that you do. Um, and I will definitely always reshare all your things. And you did have an event coming up, didn't you? Oh, I do. So, oh,
1: thank you for that, Liz. I really appreciate that. So, these, uh, your listeners will um, know that they can tune in, <clears throat> excuse me, or sign up in my bio. We, me, a friend and I, we're doing intimacy um, in the fat body. It's a series talk. It's just about navigating intimate relationships, whether you currently are in a coupling or relationship, or if you're single and seeking a relationship, really getting to um, unpack fat phobia of other people, as well as our own internalized fat Mm -hmm. and body shame, so that we are able to have meaningful and ultra satisfying pleasure, experiences, and intimacy. So we're talking about that. And then of course, I like to shake it. So there's a <laughs> dance class coming up the last of the month. So closing out Black History Month with Black Girl Magic. So the little, little Sierra, Rihanna, Beyonce, you just, you name it, we're doing a dance it's, and it's virtual. So you can join from anywhere. Um, and those links are in my bio.
0: Perfect. And I will include those links in the show notes. So you can also go directly to there. Again, thank you so much for joining us. I really hope that whoever listens to this has, I know that they will learn so much about what they can do, about what they can really start to have those conversations with other people and with themselves. And if they want more help and more information, they can come find you too. I hope so. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, thank you. If this episode was helpful, please share it with your mom, your friend, your neighbor, everyone. Help me spread this word as far as possible because we can all use a friend that gets us and that's there for us. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next episode.